and welcome to the Top Rank Podcast. I'm your host, Romney Rank, and let's get things started. With me today is Rodney Hicks. Rodney is an award-winning actor, writer, and director. He was part of the original cast of Rent and returned to it to play the role of Benjamin Cotton III when it closed out on Broadway and in Rent live on Broadway. You've seen him in shows like NYPD Blue, Grimm, and Law and & Order Criminal Intent. He was also part of the original cast of the multi-award-winning musical Come From Away and can now be seen in the film Mighty Oak. Rodney, welcome to the show, and how are you today? Hi, thank you, Rami. I'm really well. Thank you so much for asking. And you're good. Uh, you're very welcome. Man. No, I'm doing great. I'm just really excited to have you here. And I have to tell you, so I, I really liked writing your intro, but I feel it's almost impossible to summarize your career in one paragraph, you know, let alone one interview. So usually I, like you can't even, you know, it's it's yeah, you know. Dude, you got you got a lot going on. And I it's do. like yeah. So like normally I try to walk my audience through like the whole career path of my guests, but your career is so varied and rich that I feel like it's going to be hard to hit everything, but I'm going to try my best and we're probably going to jump around a little bit. So sure. I, I want to start at the very beginning. You're originally from Philly, right? I am originally from Philly. Yes. And then now, did you move to New York? Like, like what, how old were you when you moved to New York or was your whole childhood Philly? Yes. I was 20 years old when I, uh, left college thinking mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to like leave college and uh, and went to New York and I booked my first show. This was 1994. Okay. And booked my first show the summer actually before I went to New York. I actually was technically in Elmira, New York. Okay. <laughs> um, a show, and a show called um, Young, it was called um, Mark Twain the Musical. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I'm like thinking back, you know. It's um, all good. Mark Twain, the musical, and that was supposed to be like a summer job for me, you know, and then I was going to go back to school Mm -hmm. and uh, start my junior year, but I didn't. Um, I picked up a manager uh, and she just said, you have what I believe it takes. Uh, She was speaking as an artist, right? Uh But if, I guess at that time, I did not have what it took because inside, I had no idea who I was, you know, right. I wasn't this 20 year old that like there, I guess there's some 20 year olds who know this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I always knew where I wanted to go, but I knew that deep down, I knew, Ooh, you're going to have to take the stairs. <laughs> you're not, you can't take the elevator. Cause I feel like the elevator had opened for me so uh-huh. many times throughout my career. Well, because you had grown up in, in a very musical family. I mean, you know, did, it seems yeah. like your, your whole father's side was, you know, involved in, you know, either musical theater or music in some way, shape, Writing or, or Yeah, that was instilled by my grandmother. Really? My, yeah, we would do, <laughs> my cousins and I, we were so glad you're bringing this up. My cousins and I, we would do, uh, like, not talent shows, but we would perform for my aunts and uncles, you know, and, and the families would come over like Easter, it'd be like a big event for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> for my cousins, they were like, okay. But <laughs> I was like that person who was like, guys, what are you doing? We, we, we got to rehearse. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was taken so seriously. And uh, my, my cousins, my first cousins, they're like brothers to me and, and mm-hmm. sisters. Uh, you know how you grow up like that. Uh, and so it was a complete opposite of my mother's side of the family. So growing up, my dad's side of the family, they were like a bomb of joy, you know, yeah. for me, uh, going through processing just life. But we would literally, there was a point where I got the album for the Wiz mm-hmm. and I said, grandma, we have to do this. I said, <laughs> do it where? I said, in the living room, you know, 
<laughs> and I even went further and I said, listen, we, I said, I wrote the book. <laughs> you, you rewrote the whiz. Okay. All of a sudden I'm Charlie Smalls. So I said, I rewrote the, because I didn't have the play. I just had right. the cash recording. Uh-huh. And I wrote it based on the cash recording, like what I thought the book would be. Right. And, so, and I did that a lot, actually. I would live in the public library, you know, growing up. That was like where I wouldn't get bullied, basically, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it, it was there or my grandparents' living room, you know, performing. Those were your safe places, basically. Oh, yeah. And we would, we would put on the record player and, like, create routines. And my dad would videotape all. You know, so there's so a cool. bunch of videotapes of all of that. You know, we had a Christmas special. We <laughs> I you mean, a Christmas special? Oh yeah, it was well, like what was the distribution on that? <laughs> like, yes, that it was it was all organized. I like said, okay, you're going to be first. You're going to start the show, and I literally was taking everything way too seriously. But it all panned out, and our aunts, my aunts, were part of it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it was in retrospect joy you know and laughter amidst whatever other stuff you know but those moments with the whiz especially i i kind of like that was kind of the end of it because i said hey grandma you know i can put up posters around the neighborhood and she said you're not bringing all people up in my house you know <laughs> i had up in my house because she actually doesn't talk like that but yeah just came out <laughs> but like you know uh, she's like you're not gonna bring no and i said why you know, everyone should see what we're doing. And she goes, no, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. And, uh, you know, and so I just, that's it. this is all I ever wanted to do. I am one of those people who being an artist is all I ever wanted to do. And um, so it's a joy for me anytime I get to do it. And so now, when you got that first play then, I mean, d- is that just like blow your mind? It's like, oh my God, somebody is paying me to do my dream. Oh, oh absolutely. You know, yeah. and I didn't even know how much I was getting paid because it didn't matter to me. You know, yeah. I think it was like $200 a week or oh, something. Dude, I would have been jealous of that in some of my first jobs. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I actually learned there was, a, we had a Russian choreographer and I had not had formal dance training because uh, to go back to growing up, you know, that was something my dad wouldn't let me take classes for. I was that person who was in everything mm-hmm. because it just was escapism, yeah. you know, but I was also that person who I know I'm delineating, but whatever. I'm also that, I was also that person who would be on the cross country team. I would practice. I was going to say rehearse, actually. <laughs> I would yeah. practice and practice. And then we had our first meeting, our first meet. It was an all city meet. I came in first, right? And that was my last meet. Okay. My coach was like, all right, so we have practiced. And I said, oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm done. I'm ready. I'm good at all. I said, I'm good. Well, my dad ran track and all of that. And I, I think I was trying, I know I was trying to please him. Yeah. You know, to, to go, hey, I'm not just arts person. I could do that too. And, <laughs> and I didn't know I was going to come in first. And I was like, oh, God, where do you go from there? Yeah. And this is not what I really want to do. So... <laughs> I mean, literally, that was what my thinking was. And I was on, like, the step team, gymnastics. Uh, I, you know, I created the step team in our school because I love the women's drill team. What you is know? the step team? I, I'm going to sound totally ignorant. So what yeah, is, what is no. That? You know, like, uh, it's really prevalent in, in black fraternities, right? Okay. I was not in one of those. All that, No, you weren't. Um, <laughs> 
But actually now there's a little more integration in there, you know, which is great. Actually in college, uh, there were uh, white, white uh, students as part of the black fraternity. So okay. I thought that was really cool. It was just like, wow, you're going to go through some hazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, do uh, fraternities because, mm-hmm. well, okay. It was that and the fact that I knew I was gay. And I was okay. terrified of it. And I thought, they're going to know I'm gay. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. You know, because the paddles and all of that. And right. I thought, oh, gosh. What? Oh, okay. No. And so not, I said, not for you. Not for you. Not for me. I just felt, you know, I just didn't want to be made fun of. I well, didn't I, want to be made fun of. I, I think that's a pretty normal reaction. I don't think anybody wants to be made fun of. Like, no, no. After being made fun of for so long, I was yeah. like, I got through this grade school and high school and actually college, I wasn't made fun of. Nice. Like, I wasn't made fun of in college all the two years I was there. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things with college is that usually you're entering into a community that is a much larger than whatever your high school was. And yeah. B is also a group of people who are kind of, you know, in the same general space that you're at. And so you're able to find, you know, more of a family there than you are in say like high school or middle school. Like it's like your first entrance into your own society. Yeah. 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 You know, and away from your family unit. Oh, you totally. I, mean? You're, I think college is when you first start creating that chosen family. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm like surprised that I still have friend connected to friends who I went to college with in high school and like all the way back. And I'm like, that feels really good. You know, that feels, I, I mean, that's of, cool. Of, oh, this person bullied me or that. I'm like, you know what? Get over it. You, you will never get that time back. Right. <laughs> you know, and I don't think it over it in a negative way. Uh, let me rephrase that. Um, I mean, breathe and know that that's the past. That's gone. Right. Um, unless there is something really terrible that is like, um, we need to figure this out. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like really, really allow yourself to forgive yourself. And to move forward and to say, hey, that was then, this is now. You know, because I think a lot of humans, we hold on to uh, anger and trauma. Yeah, we do. You know? And we, we regurgitate all the painful stuff, but it's hard for us to remember the, beauty, the beautiful stuff that happens in our lives. Well, you know, it's, it's a very interesting metaphor, but it's like you think about it, you get, you know, severely hurt, you know, you're going to have a scar that stays with you for the rest of your life. But oh, yeah. at the same time, you know, the good things that happen to you, I mean, those stay with you just in your heart and your mind. They're, they're not as easy to see or feel, um, but they're there. It's, it's the pain that really sticks around that you can- Until it doesn't. Exactly. You know what? Until you do the work- and it doesn't. And it's, you know, it's very hard work because I know because I've done it. Yeah. And it's like, but when you are in it, especially the beginning stages of it, mm-hmm. woo, it's like what the world is now. You know what I mean? It's oh, yeah. Because like, you, you can get lost in those moments of pain. Yeah. And you just sit there and be like, this is it. This, this is the end of it. And it's like, it's something I always tell people. It's like, you can never judge your future by where you're at today is that you, you literally have so much ahead of you. And if you're focusing on something, if you're trying to get somewhere, you're going to do it. You just have to, you know, realize that whatever's going on right now is ne- almost never permanent. Wow. It's, and it's also, you know, live like where you're going, where you want to go, not where you've been. Absolutely. 
You know, it, it, it's a hard thing. Yeah. It's a hard thing, but I really believe it will make for a better world. Absolutely. And a better world of people coming together, you know, and going, it takes all of us. And I, that's, I really, I think at the core of all that's going on in our world right now, and everyone has their different ways and ministries of demonstrating that. And for me, given everything I've come through in my life, I, I and I've said this before, I am like here, mm-hmm. you know, You're I'm in a great spot, right? I have now. to vibrate here and say, I'm going to stay in this lane of love. And as hard as it can be, maybe whatever, I'm going to stand here because I want to be rooted in that because we have one life here. Absolutely. You know, and you have to take advantage of that life. You absolutely do. And I I have to ask you about something. So, um, you know, today when people talk about Broadway phenomenon, you know, Hamilton is obviously the first show that, you know, pops in everyone's heads. Like I diehard fan, absolutely love it. But Thinking back to the mid '90s, Rent literally was the be-all and end-all for Broadway. You know, no one had seen anything like that before. It was topical, it was relevant, it was rock and roll. It was literally the absolute antithesis to you know everything folks like Andrew Lloyd Webber you know were putting out there. And don't get me wrong, look, I love Phantom, I love Joseph. You were in it. I was in it in high school. I, I was Abraham. Um, <laughs> Cancer. Was Ruben and Joseph. Yeah. What, what's that? I played Ruben and Joseph. I know. I saw that on your list. I was like, oh, we have something. Yeah. He did this amazing rearrangement of uh, One More Angel in Heaven. It was awesome. (laughs) Anyway. I love it. But here's where I was. So for you, though, you know, Rent opened up a whole new world of what, you know, musicals could be. When you first heard about it, did you have any idea what this would eventually become at that point? You know, it's okay. I have to go back to my 20-year-old self. Yeah. Um, because I met Jonathan in 1995, like literally February of 95. In December, uh, I got rent. Okay. So February, I was uh, did Jonathan's show called Blocks. And that's okay. why Anthony Rapp and Yasmin Ehlers. Yasmin was uh, an original standby of the show. Um, okay. And so we all know Anthony, right? So mm-hmm. we did uh, Jonathan's musical Blocks. Mm-hmm. And that's how I became friends with Jonathan. And, you know, I remember the first time I went to his place to like learn music and the whole payphone across the street, you know, yeah. he looked up out of the window and he literally <laughs> dropped the key. And yeah. like, you know, I called him from the payphone and, you know, and this, this tiny apartment, the bathtub was in the kitchen, <laughs> you know, like literally, and I'd never seen anything like it. And John was just so humble and so gracious. And he, it was all about friendship for him. Uh-huh. You know? And like he said to us at one of our, um, the big dinners is he said, you all are playing my friends. Aww. And so therefore you are my friends. Aww. And it was like, Whoa, you know, and he worked his butt off. The first time I went to his place before regret uh, came yeah. into my life. Uh, he said, Hey, I want to play a song for you. Okay. And it was, uh, oh God, it wasn't the opening of Rent, but it was different lyrics. Uh, uh-huh. Anyway, or Door Wall, that's what it was. Yeah. That was no longer in Rent now. Um, the yeah. Door of the Wall, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's really cool. And he went on and on about what Rent meant. And it was just, I just listened, but not because I'm just thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. I just want to like 
soak it all in, but I'm too like excited to really <laughs> absorb it, yeah. you know? And then uh, some months later, I come into the room and, you know, Jonathan Larson's red. And I'm like, and I, so I had an idea of his music. Yeah. But still sang the wrong song for my audition. <laughs> what did you sing for your audition? Oh, brother. Um, <laughs> I sang This Is The Moment from Jekyll and Hyde. Okay. And, exactly. And uh, Jesse Martin was actually, uh, that's how I met Jesse, was at the audition. Oh, okay, and, cool. Yeah. And I actually painted on a goatee because I couldn't grow facial hair. Yeah. And I painted it on with mascara pen. I had a huge, like, Gap uh, cardigan sweater. Okay. And after singing, then uh, they said, hey, Rod, can you dance? So I, I danced a little bit. I was, like, into hip-hop and, and break dancing. So I yeah. did it all. And then I threw in a backflip and a split as well. Okay, that's amazing. I all of that. Well, I say all that to say I also took off my sweater. <laughs> and at the end, they're like, great, 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 Rodney. You know, oh, you may want to go in the bathroom. Bernie Telsey said that. You may want to go in the bathroom and, and look in the mirror. And I was like, oh, okay. You know? And then I walked out and then just doom set in. And I looked in the mirror and just mascara smeared. <laughs> and I was mortified. I thought, oh God. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know if I will ever have a career in New York City now. <laughs> hours later, I got the job. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And so what was that experience like? Because, you know, after that play opens, I mean, look, you know, I said it before, I'll say it again. It was an explosion. I mean, look, I was in high school when Rent came out, and I remember just, you know, walking around with everyone singing Seasons of Love and playing the music constantly. I mean, like, are you basically just a celebrity walking around town at that point? No, I don't know what I was. I, I, I was a just confused, scared young man. Really? That was in a show that was everything that I was afraid of. That is just the truth. And my friend died. So yeah. I'm thinking, but we had to move on. And, I, and it just, I didn't understand the complexity of that. Because uh, I'm thinking, I'm only two years out of high school, you know? Yeah. And it's my Broadway debut. Is this supposed to really go like this? You know? Did you, so, were you really not able to enjoy that? I mean, like that... Oh man, I'll be honest with you. You get there's some pictures you can look back and everyone's smiling, you know, because they yeah. were older and they they kind of knew, not that much older, but yeah. they were more seasoned, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, I only had one New York show, city show under my belt, Bring in the Morning, yeah, uh, prior. Uh, but I didn't know how to do it. I was like, literally, there's a picture of everyone smiling, and I'm like this. Oh god! <laughs> and it's like in a tuxedo opening night, but. There was a profound sadness um, and weight and gravity and love because we loved Jonathan so much. Yeah. And there was a rock, that a plaque that said, Jonathan Larson, thank you, Jonathan Larson. And we all touched it before we went out on stage, like for, for every performance for as long as the show was on Broadway. I had, it, uh, every I mean, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I had heard he passed away literally just days before opening night, right? It was uh, the night before... Uh, our uh, invited dress rehearsal. And he had just saw our run through, our final run through, and the New York Times was there. And his one, his big, big wish was to be interviewed by the Times. And I will never forget this, these moments. Um, 
I remember we finished the show at that time was about three hours and something, something, something's minutes. (laughs) You know, he got to see his whole creation, Mm -hmm. right? Without the edits. And we were all leaving and I was leaving. And the last time I saw Jonathan alive, he turned around and looked, he's like, you know, yeah. Big thumbs up, big smile. Yeah. And I just walked out of that theater. So happy. And he was happy because he was getting his interview. And then I, the next morning I was on an audition because, yeah. you know, it's what you do. And we, I thought, well, this is going to be off Broadway for this amount of time. And then I got to go on to the next. Yeah. And it was the casting director there, Alan Filderman, who had said, you know, hey, um, you have to go down to the theater, to your theater, something about your composer. And I just knew. I don't know how, I mean, now in retrospect, right, I get it because of my spiritual yeah. path now, um, but I w- it was so untapped then, but I just knew. And I took the subway, it was everything, it was like, it was like sound just went off. Mm-hmm. And I was in a tunnel and I remember walking down that street, you know, the block, and it was the coldest day it felt like. And... Then, you know, we were just told, you know, what happened. He died of an aortic aneurysm and, um, well, you know, that he died. And we sat there with that. We all sat in quiet. And then uh, it was decided that we do this for friends and family, you know, as opposed to doing our first preview, you know. Um, And we just, it was the night before our first preview. And uh, so we... We got on, we didn't put up act two, act one. We sat behind the tables and Michael said, Hey, let's just sit behind the tables and do it almost as a reading. You know, okay. we get to La Vie Bohème and we, we knew what La Vie Bohème was, you know, we, cause we had to create it with Marlies yeah. and Michael and, you know, and ourselves. But I don't know if we really knew what that celebration was about. Right. And, or at least I didn't. Uh, and then when Anthony stood up, he just, it was almost like he said, forget the chair, you know? Yeah. He stood up and he just said, dearly beloved. <laughs> Woo! We all just like, you could feel this seismic shift happen yeah. in that theater collectively. And we all just, you know? And we said, we're doing this. So we're doing this. I mean, and we just did it. We got up on those tables and we did the choreography. We celebrated Jonathan in that moment. And the audience, they all were there and just, you know, just clapped. And it wasn't about the applause. It was, we were here, you know, we were lifting Jonathan up. And then we went back for intermission and, uh, Kathy or Crystal, our stage managers, came back and said, hey, we're going to put, Michael said, we're going to put Act 2 on its feet. You know, it was almost right. like that moment in, this is bad analogy, but that moment in Sister Act 2, okay. where Whoopi Goldberg says, that you, you know, the woman says, your teacher says, take off your robes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and they get to, like, celebrate, yeah. you know, life, a life lived. And so it was that moment, and we all were so charged with emotion, with grief, with, with trauma, but with 
with love was yeah. the overriding thing. We went out, we heard Tim Wilde play those chords, man. Oh, wow, I've not relived this. <laughs> and so it's my first time speaking about this in public. So forgive my over-enthusiasm. No, please, please. But, um, it was, we heard those chords, man. And then we all walked out, we formed that line. And we finished the song and stood there. And it was silence for a long, long while. And then someone said, thank you, Jonathan. And I will never forget that as long as I live. And we all just stood there. And then we went, you know, continued the show. But that show, you know, it started as something I was afraid of to something that is my lifeblood. Yeah, it's like I am all of those characters. I know these people. I mean, now I'm 46. It's like I've been these people. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like I get it. The soul. And when I left the show, I actually went back. Whoa! Anyone can tell you. You know, for all the years that it was on Broadway, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen every cast. I would sit wow. on the soundboard <laughs> and I would mm-hmm. watch the show because that was my way of healing. Uh, ultimately, I didn't know that at the time, but that was also my way of making peace. That was also my way of learning to love myself and to really just, how do I move in this world? You know, when you come from trauma, you know, I was born from trauma, yeah. <laughs> you know, to hurt souls. So it's like, how do you repair? You repair by living. You repair by keep going. You make those mistakes, you get back up. Uh- uh, that that's amazing, man. I mean, I, I literally, I'm I'm speechless right now because that uh, it's it's such a beautiful, incredible story, and it's it's from a perspective that you know most of us who were just you know fans of the play, you know we we don't get to appreciate that you know what you guys as the cast and the artists who were up there you know bringing Jonathan's you know words and music to life you know what you experienced and I I just you know I have to say thank you so much for sharing that with me today oh thank you it brought us I mean we are a family till the day we die I think that's just really the reality and it brought us together in a way that you just it it would be a show you know and for me it set the standard of what family means in a show and show family and um, it's a very special thing. Have you had a show family like that again since then? Come from away, the Scottsboro Boys, uh-huh. Jesus, superstar. I mean, you know, I, it, it's every show that I've done on Broadway has has had that feeling for me in different ways. In mm-hmm. different in different ways, I was in different places in my life in every show I was in. But yeah. Come from away, I had just begun my journey at meditating and, and practicing meditation and mm-hmm. really looking inward. And that was like the first time I was doing a show without the gaze of trauma. Yeah. And was like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and really understanding the magnitude and velocity of gratitude yeah. and compassion and, 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 and the power in that. Mm-hmm. And so if I didn't have come from away in my life, I don't know if I would be a compassionate, kind, loving person now in the world we're in today. It gave me tools that has helped me to stand in this world 
you know, and yeah. not just the show itself, but the people who came mm-hmm. and them sharing their stories. So, uh, yeah, it, I mean, come from away is it, it's an amazing, amazing musical. Um, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, my, oh, my God, I, 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 my wife and I saw it. And unfortunately, you, you had left the cast at this point, but we saw it. Um, I want to say December of 2018. And we we were blown away at that point. And the difficult thing for us was that we had seen, you know, again, let's go back to the 800 pound gorilla that is Hamilton is that we had seen Hamilton. Uh, I think twice at that point, we had seen it uh, once in New York, which, you know, I'm, I'm going to share this story really quick. Please, this, yeah. this, this was just great. So we, we were, we had gone to New York, my family's uh, there, they're in uh, Long Island and we had spent like a day in the city hanging out with one of our friends. And, you know, then we stopped by um, uh, Levain bakery. Cause we have to get the $6 cookies. Cause they're just amazing. And yeah. we're, we're driving back to Long Island. And I said to her, I was like, you know what? let's see if we can get Hamilton tickets. She goes, you can't get Hamilton tickets. They're sold out for like a year and a half. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I know, but what the hell? Why not? Let's just see what uh, happens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're going down 45th street. And I said to her, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're stuck in horrible traffic. The theater's four blocks up. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, you jump in the driver's seat. I'm going to jump out. I'm going to run to the theater and I'm just going to see what happens. And she's like, you're insane. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's, let's just try. Let's just try. I'm like, okay. So, she gets in the driver's seat. I bolt ahead and I get there and it is a madhouse. There's probably 300, 400 people standing there in front of the theater. And I, I go to them like, is this the line for the box office? And the person I talked to was like, no, 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 no. It's a stage door. Uh, the uh, the matinee just finished. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go past them and I see another huge line. I'm like, oh, is this the line for the box office? They're like, no, no. The evening show is just getting ready to start. These are all the people going in. I'm like, oh. And then I take a look and I see there's the box office door and there's nobody there. I'm like, okay. So I walk in and uh, I, I go to the guy there. I said, sir, I, I know I'm going to sound like an idiot. My wife and I are in town for about a week. Do you have any tickets whatsoever in the next 10 days? And he's like, well, how many do you need? I said two. He's like, does it matter when you go? I said, no. He goes, can you do Friday at 2 p.m.? And I'm like, I, I, I think so. I How much are the tickets? And you know, he gives me the price. <laughs> It's like two, it was like two twenty five or something, and you know per seat. And I was like, like, all right, I can't spend five hundred dollars on tickets without talking to my wife. So just give me a second here. So I start calling her. Her phone is dead. And then another woman walks in, and she's talking to the guy. She's like, I heard that you have premium seats available for August. He's like, No, man, we have absolutely nothing available. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, You got to be kidding me. She like starts walking out. I go to him like, Sir. Can you hold on to those two tickets? I, I just, I have to talk to her. And he goes, he goes, I'll hold them to you for you for like 15 minutes. I'm like, okay. uh-huh. open the door to the theater. She's in the middle of 45th street in the car. I run out to the middle of the street. I'm like, honey, we can get the tickets. She's like, like, well, where are the seats? I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The theater's not that huge. <laughs> so, I love that you didn't start with the tickets are 500. No, you know I, mean, how much? I said, they're like, they're like 250 or something. She's like, or 225. She's like, okay, I guess I'm like, okay, great. I run back in and I, I like, I'm buying the tickets. I said, where are they? And he's like, and where he shows them they are, it's like row J of the orchestra. And it's like, so you've got orchestra left center and right. It was orchestra left, but we were in the aisle seat and like the seat next to it. So it was basically orchestra center, orchestra center in like the 10th row to see Hamilton. I, I get back in the car and she's like, I can't believe you did this. How did that happen? I said, I was Gandhi in a previous life and I've earned this. Like that's uh, all I figure out. But it, it it was amazing. But anyway, going back to my original point was that like 
we saw Hamilton and we were just blown away. And we, we really did not know or think that any play or any musical beyond that would ever be able to live up to that again. And I, you know, I had seen rent back in the day. I said, no, there are phenomenons like this. Something else will come around. And Mm -hmm. my parents had told us, look, there's this, there's this musical come from away. You have to see it. We'll get you guys the tickets. You're going to love it. And we were like, okay, yeah, sure. And we walked, I, I mean, we teared up, we laughed, we cried. I mean, it was amazing. Such an incredible, powerful story of, you know, this town that took in all of these lost travelers when 9-11 happened. I mean, it it was... And the way Chris amazing. Ashley and Kelly Devine, like the way they just, you know, with Chris's direction and Kelly's musical staging, it, it was just, you know, they made us look seamless. Oh, totally. You know? And, and- yeah. I mean, it, I mean, one of the things I just love so much about it is that it had this like very, you know, it, it almost a community theater feeling to it in that the sets and everything were just, it was so simple, but the story and the emotions were so complex. I, I mean, just incredible. And I know that, you know, we talked about like, you know, the all of the uh, times that you were in rent and you weren't really able to truly enjoy it because you were still lost. At that point, though, are you able I to- I enjoyed it. You know, I, I absolutely enjoyed it, but- uh-huh. It was, I was just on a whole other planet. Yeah. You no, know, no, I, I really was because I think I was resisting the fact that this isn't supposed to, it, this isn't how it was supposed to happen. Yeah. You know, and so I actually originally wanted to go as soon as possible, yeah. you know, because I was just like, and I didn't know why, but in retrospect, it was, I wanted to leave that grief and the sadness and the weight and try yeah. to figure it out. And it took me many years, you know, because I was also figuring out me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but I wouldn't, ha- I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I think it was all imperfectly perfect, yeah, you know, yeah. and Jonathan's spirit and life and soul has touched a generation. I only wish that he was here to see it. I, what, what do you think he would say if he were here to see that's still in everything uh, that rent has done? Just wow. I, I think Jonathan would say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I no, I do. Because Jonathan knew. Jonathan said, I am going to be this. Mm-hmm. And I am going to be the next this. I mean, he literally, you know, so I think Jonathan, with all the humility in the world, would go, yeah. Yeah. You know, but not like, you know, but just very, and he would keep making more things. That's awesome. Um, and just be so gracious and humble and probably wearing those boots that he always wore, you know? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, he was such a unique and amazing voice. I mean, it's, it's tragedy that he was lost so soon. Yeah. Yeah. But th- so this is something that I've always wondered, you know, for you, you've been in like the, the cool position of both originating parts and also taking over parts from other actors. And so, uh, you know, I was wondering, so when you originate a part and, you know, you feel it's time for you to leave the show, you move on for whatever reason or another, do you, you go back and you look at, you know, how people take over that role and how they change and adjust their performance. And I mean, is that, is that something where you're just like, okay, I, I've done my thing and I'm going to move on? Or do, do you like... I love that you asked that. Me? Yeah, it's a combination of many things, you know, and every every artist is different. Um, I really love it um, because you originating a role, you have the unique opportunity to lay the groundwork. 
Yeah. And to make the house and to make all the rooms. And you decide with uh, the original collaborators uh, if you're going to have curtains in the windows mm-hmm. or if it's going to have, you know what I mean? Like you decide what nuances are in that room. Right. You know, and how you know the in, inner, inner everything of this character. Mm-hmm. Like you just do when you're creating a role. And it doesn't mean that no one else could portray it uh, differently. Right. It's, you're literally, it's not for mimicry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that used to be the case like years ago, you know, on, on Broadway. It's like, can you fit the costume? You know what I mean? But um, <laughs> Slightly different not, now. Yeah, it's so not. It's like, it's actually, they go opposite, you know, what was original because no one person is alike. Yeah. You know, and so what I love going back to Rent, you know, seeing all the incarnations of it, it was fascinating because because the costume changes as well, mm-hmm. you know, to fit that person sl- slightly um, come from away. Going back to see that was I saw it twice uh-huh. and I saw uh, my friend Josh Breckenridge, who was my standby. Yeah. And I watched, uh, you know, Delon. And Grant and Delon was fantastic. Both of them were fantastic. And they both were so different, you know? And I sat there, not with like actors kind of, you know what I mean? <laughs> I sat there like, wow, I was a part of this creation. Yeah. And in the shoes, actually, Tony Leslie James, they bought my sneakers that I wore in rehearsals, you Wait, know, my Adidas. Okay. Yeah. And the wardrobe. And so Bob, all of his sneakers are a facsimile of my sneakers. Oh, that's so fun. So, it, 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 you know, little things like that make you go, wow. And I remember how my costume came together. Yeah. You know, our director, Chris, at one point we were, because it's funny, because my costume, like everyone, had many, like, versions. Mm-hmm. And I love it because in La Jolla, I just had a, a um, T-shirt that had New York on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then I think I threw on a flannel and then in Seattle, we, it was the flannel and the T-shirt. And then it was somewhere in Seattle where Chris had said, hey, uh, let's put a vest on. You know, it was in D.C. Sorry. Okay. D.C. And we put a vest on like on top of at first I was like, I'm going to be hot. <laughs> I'm like, oh. You know, and and we laughed about it, you know, because it's funny because in in D.C., oh, gosh, I I was like, like working out a lot and like thinking, yeah, well, I have a T-shirt on, so I better like. Yeah. And then I got a flannel on top of the T-shirt. and I'm like, okay, maybe I don't need to work out. (laughs) And then when I got the vest, it was. I loved it because it completed this character. Uh-huh. Because he it wasn't about look at how I look, mm-hmm. you know. It was oh, oh, he's a whole other kind of thing. And every city we were in, I was always working on this character, and yeah. like subtly because each audience was different. Yeah, and so and all of us, we our dynamics shifted depending on the city, mm-hmm. and it was the most beautiful thing to watch and and chris never let up on us finding the truth in every moment you know so that it's honest and that it's coming from the heart and you know and then as you know the spasmodic dysphonia happened for me yeah and it was a blessing 
Like I was just talking to uh, Marlene, who's one of our producers, and you know, I was just saying that we both agreed that it was a blessing because I would not be sharing in this way. I wouldn't, I don't think I would have really, really done the hard, hard part of healing, mm-hmm. you know, had it not been having that as my crux of healing to yeah. go, wow, what do you do when you can't do one of the one things that you've always wanted to do? It's like, right. course mine, you know? And yeah. it's interesting because I always imagined that I was Paul, <laughs> you know, growing up, like, and I'm, I'm black, I'm not Hispanic, and I knew, <laughs> but I'll never play Paul, but <laughs> yeah. I, I re- his story resonated with me, and I didn't know why. You know, when I first heard it, but as I went through my life, I'm like, oh my God, got it. And it was just, it's funny, speaking about theater moves me mm-hmm. because theater's not happening right now. And right. no matter what I'm, what medium I'm going to be doing and doing, theater will always be like my, my core. Are, are you taking this as an opportunity to write more right now? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I've not so much right, but literally it's now pitching things, you know what I mean? And waiting for, to hear word on things. Uh, My play just press save uh, Mm -hmm. just had a really successful workshop production that was done on stream. Congratulations. My wife wife directed it. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it was an amazing like full circle moment, you know, you know, doing rent originally and then him bringing me back 10 years later. Yeah. And then now this collaboration, which Michael Yuri from pride plays and Michael Yuri, you know, he put it all together. Like, so cool. Talking, He said, who do you think would be a good director for this? And, and I said, we both said Michael Greif. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he just knows how to tap into that. And he knows how to tap into this honesty, you know, and that can create a musical for all. And, and I knew, well, let's not make it another rent, like, like you know, yeah. rent senior in a way, you know, because this is like young people, uh, younger than the rent cast. And mm-hmm. they're dealing, and originally they were dealing with like, Drugs, gunplay, all of that stuff that we know. And then the world started shaking up. And it was this year. And Michael said, would you want to reinvent your play? You know, let me know if you... And I said, yes. (laughs) Because I've been working on it for years. And, like, there were no bites, really, you know? And I was... And he just, you know... And I said, yes. And then we went on this new journey and incorporated all the things that are happening this year because the play actually takes place next year. Oh, interesting. And they're all in their senior year. You have two students who are undocumented. They're from Honduras and they're yeah. trying to get through the year. One student going to school for the first time identifying as a, as a, um, as a male, uh-huh. you know, but it's biologically uh, a girl, but he's going to school as a trans male. Yeah. And then there is white kid. It's a black and brown uh, sub- suburbia. So yeah. what I wanted to do was, Oh, well, let's have one white kid in this. Because before there were two. Okay. And like, let's have one so that he's the minority. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's not about him being the minority, right? Yeah. And it's, it was, and it all just started opening up. And he was just funny, <laughs> you know, because a lot of times, it's kind of like reversing it, right? Because, okay. you know, in the 90s, you'd have the black token friend, you know? Right. Yeah. And they were funny, you know? Yeah. And, it's like, let me reverse this. 
and see what happens in this dynamic. And then you have a girl, Jocelyn, you know, that pretty girl who is, you know, doesn't really, really know that she's enough and that Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to be mean to people. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I thought it would be fascinating to have this, uh, this character in the play who's also dealing with a lot Uh in her her life. Uh, And then you have, this uh, kid Bolin, who's Chinese, and he's singing Bob Dylan, you know? And it's yeah. like, but he used to be uh, infatuated with gangster rap music. And yeah. I just wanted to throw stereotypes on his head mm-hmm. and go, now let's make these people in a play. You know, so I, I, I liken it to like suburbia, okay. you know, and like Freaks and Geeks, yeah. and uh, My So-Called Life, and Dawson's Creek, that kind of thing, but on the stage. Okay, so cool. everyone can watch it. So it's not isolating the very audience that you're writing about, but yeah, it's I mean, also not TYA. You, you you've know? kind of like created like the melting pot that is America in one play to bring everybody in. I'm trying to, oh, you know, it's in yeah. development, you know, and then I have another play that we're just waiting to see what happens. Um, but it's, it's actually a multimedia form, I, I, I guess. Um, but it premiered uh, last year at a theater in Boulder, Colorado. Called is that Local flame broiled? It is flame broiled. Okay. And, I love Flame Bro because it started in Paula Vogel's master class in 2019. Okay. It like literally came out of nowhere, this play. <laughs> okay. And in interviews I did last year, so many people kept trying to think that these were my thoughts and feelings and that I was just like, ah! <laughs> <You know what? laughs> and it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No. You know, um, that is not my lane. And I I was inspired by George Wolf's Occultic Museum. If you don't know that play, oh, you should read it. It's funny, but it's, okay. you know, it's like wickedly funny. It's okay. like fighting humor where you're just like, ooh, I'm laughing, oh. but why am I laughing? You know? I, I like that. It, a strange love almost. Like, yes, I like it's, 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 you know, anything about race and culture, it's like, how do you subvert it? So yeah. people can watch it and not feel guilty, not feel pain. It's like, you know, and there are writers for that. And mm-hmm. I, it's like, yes, go. But in my mind, in that class, Paula Vogel's prompt, she said, we're going to take the last half hour of four, this four, beautiful four-hour class where I literally, her class, I was that student that... <laughs> At your seat, <laughs> eyes open. I'm I was the front row, just, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was like, who is this presence here? Yeah. And what is she teaching me, you know? And, uh, and, and so by the end of that, class is when I knew I can be a playwright. I am a playwright. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I, and don't ever think you're not. And she gave us a half hour. Her prompt question was, I want you to write a five minute play. Uh, and here's your, here's your um, statement about uh, a black person or person of color uh, telling an out of touch white person the importance of voting. Okay. And she goes, go. And like everyone could like form whatever they want to form and like write. And all of a sudden, what came to my mind was Norman Lear and George Wolfe. Okay. Like literally. You're thinking all in the family. And and Jefferson's and all of that. You knew where I was going. And Uh I thought, how do I make this entertaining? You know? (laughs) And I'm like, "I, I I don't want people to go and just, you know, how can I make it funny? But yet kind of. Here we go. This is where we're going. So yeah. I went to the bathroom. <laughs> and 
I would That's where that. I get all my great ideas. So, okay, go for it. Oh, uh, well, because I had to pee. And uh, I came back and I went to the back of the room and just took a breath. And I had no idea what was going to come out of my fingers <laughs> and, at all. And I just started writing. And it was two women, one black woman, one white woman. And they were in a Burger King. Yeah. And one was, and they weren't listening to each other. Uh-huh. And both, neither one of them. And the white lady, she was the worker there, and the black woman was the customer. And all hell broke loose. <laughs> and like, but I, I don't know what how it came, but it was funny, but it was also caustic. Yeah. And it was like it's everything that we're in now today, yeah. actually. But um, and I was I read it. You know, she was okay. So now we're gonna give a couple people. Like I was, <laughs> I got this. I did this. I was like, "May please save me," and I kind of didn't care that anyone would be like, "Who is this guy?" And so I didn't ver- verbally say, "Me, please pick me." But like, yeah. uh, then she went to someone, and then I'm thinking, "Relax, find me, just breathe, just breathe." <laughs> <laughs> and I was just so excited. I was excited because. Yeah. That's what art does does to me. Like anyone can tell you being in a rehearsal room with me, I get really like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I do. And um, talking about art, it gets me very excited because in my my life that I walk, I'm very here. Yeah. I mean, there's many versions, but when it comes to talking about art, theater, television, film doesn't matter. And the craft, oh man, it, it just, it takes me to this other place. So... I get a chance to read this five-minute thing, and I called it Flame Royal, right? And I got to read it, and people were laughing, and I and I'm like, I'm I'm keep I'm just gonna keep reading. I'm playing the role for the characters, you know. And Paula said, "I hope you felt that." Mm -hmm. And she goes, "And I hope you continue to finish this play." Nice, brother. That's amazing. uh, that that vote of confidence from someone such as Paula Vogel. Yeah. It, it just, and I just put it into the manifestation and a reading happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone here. Not really. You yeah. know, my husband runs the theater at Denver Center, but it's like, I don't want to do nepotism. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. like, I need to forge this on my own. And then uh, Pesha Rudnick, a local theater company, who's a friend of mine now, she uh, gave me that opportunity and then some beautiful angel friends. I uh, said, hey, is there any way we can find, find the way? It's an investment. And they were like, what do you need? And I've actually gotten that in my life. You know, I'm very fortunate, um, you know, of people. How can I help you? That's cool. That's you really know, cool. How can I help you throughout my life? And I think that's why I'm here today. You know, I can say I've done all this work, all this work, but the work is also listening. And, you know. Well, there's a reciprocity to it because, I mean, look, you you clearly have talent that you've put out over the years in just about every way, shape, and form. But, you you know, by putting out that talent, people are going to notice that and they're going to say, you know what? What can I do? What can I do to help you get to your next thing? Because there are goals that I have that I think that we can help each other achieve our goals. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the one thing I learned in order for that to really manifest, you actually have to learn to help yourself and you have to love yourself because I didn't love myself for so long, you know? So it was, 
who can I be for whoever, you know? And that's why I'm happy that the world is where it's at right now, because it's going to get better. What do you think taught you, taught yourself? What do you think taught you to love yourself to the point that you're at right now? Oh, wow. That's a beautiful question. Life. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, you know, I was on the path, you know, to when my grandmother, my grandmother died. There it is. Um, My grandmother passed 2014, October. And that was the seismic shift in terms of, okay, now don't talk about it. Now you got to do it. And that was when I first started meditation. And because my grandmother, I say that because she instilled gratitude in me. She instilled, she was the person who kept me from not being the bad person. You know what I mean? Right. Or, Or the demonstrative, you know, she kept me here and she, it's like, you know, when people pass, you, you kind of make promises to yourself. You know what I mean? That you probably never tell anyone, you know? And my promise was from that moment on, come hell or high water, I'm going, I'm determined to be the best version of myself possible and learn who that is. Really, because I didn't know who that was, you know? And who is that? And then spasmodic dysphonia happened. And I thought I was at a great place. And then it was now, what do you do, Job? Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, and I decided to lean into the suffering and lean into the healing. And I, I, you know, therapy, of course, and then EMDR therapy, which is intense. And you hit every trauma point in your life. (laughs) And, you know, for me, my first trauma point was when I was four. So it's like, what happened when you were four? Oh, yeah. Four years old was my very first trauma point. That was when uh, my, that was really my two memories of my parents being together. And uh, that we were in a car, my brother and I, and my dad and uh, my mother was driving. And we were going across the bridge and she tried to take us over the bridge. And so that has stayed in my memory for so long. And I think it was, oh my gosh, actually close to 20 years, exactly, uh, where I asked her. I I don't, uh, I've forgiven my mother, but my biological mother, but uh, she's not in my life. And that is okay. Uh, So I have such forgiveness in my heart. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it was, I asked her. And, and she corroborated. And that, I think that's what I needed for that closure, you know. And uh, then when I was five, you know, she didn't have custody. And, and she took my brother and I and she kidnapped us. And we were somewhere where we should not have been for a year. And horrible happened to us that I don't wish on anybody. Mm-hmm. And so to come from that and then back to my dad's, you know, where my dad was a cop and he was dealing with a lot of racism. And he was fortunately, though, you know, he never said, set, instilled, instilled in us a fear of people who were white. Mm-hmm. And and because I know many um, families have to and do, you know, and say, do not trust, da, 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 da. And he didn't do that. He said, there are individuals. Yeah. <laughs> One no, individual or a couple, of, not like a whole. And that was a big lesson he taught. Yes, his, the anger that happened in his job, he took it out on us physically. 
And, you know, but I share that because I got to see my dad's growth and I actually got to see his journey and he apologized before he died. Wow. Now I had, that's like, if that didn't take place, two months before he died, if that didn't take place, I I would have so much darkness in my heart, Mm -hmm. unresolved everything because the person wouldn't be there anymore. So like, and we had the most healing conversation Mm -hmm. that healed all of my life. And that also then healed the mother's side. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, I had my grandmother and I had all these amazing women in my life. So I I wasn't lack of female energy at all, you know, but um, I was holding a lot of suffering and, and trauma and pain and trying to be somebody other than me for so long. And, you know, and that's why I guess I share my story because hopefully it can help someone else who thinks that, you know, Oh, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And it's like, no, you can get unstuck. Well, yeah. And I think that, you know, it's incredibly important that you do so because uh, look, you know, you're not the only person who's gone through, you know, experiences similar to this. I am alone. (laughs) No, you are not. No. And actually, you know, it's interesting because I I didn't realize that your father was a police officer. So I I mean, I I have to ask you about like, you know, obviously everything that's going on today, you know, between... Uh, you know, defund the police and everything. I mean, where, are you comfortable talking about where's, where's your stance on all of this? Is it just, you know, everyone's individuals or, you know, is it systemic? No, it's, it's a very, I'm not a expert on any of those questions. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel I'm equipped to answer that question. That's um, fair. I also believe because it's such a, I came, my grandfather was a cop. My dad yeah. was a cop. And there are many bad cops. Um, and, but I'm going to leave it there because there are many good cops. Yeah. I mean, I, I have friends who are cops who, you know, me too. And, and so I, it's again, it's like, you know, not every white person is bad. Not every black person is bad. Not every, there are, so I have to choose to focus on the good and, you know, you know, and I could answer it, but I'm like, I don't, I have a real answer because I think it's my own personal, you know, because there are a lot of good cops who are being lumped in and I, and I get it. And, and, but see, here's the thing. That's really how this is all working in terms of just hate. Yeah. In terms of, but then we all start becoming bullies to the bullies and it's like, so, and I don't mean that people are bullying. I don't, I don't mean that at all. I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I'm saying is that, and that's why I'm staying in my lane of love. Yeah. But no, no, really. I'm like, I'm literally saying to myself in this very important time we're in where I stand for people protesting mm-hmm. and I understand all the systemic changes that have to happen and it is happening. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's not my ministry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's my mindfulness books, right? To take right. on and Pema Chodron, that's that. You know, if I hadn't read those books, I would be like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know what I mean? And so, no, I um, get it. and I'm like, you know, I, I have too much respect for my friends who are damn good cops, yeah. you know, to actually speak on a whole. Um, 
it's like I, 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 it's a hard, complex thing, just like racism, just like everything in our world. Yeah. And my place is not to speak on that. My place is this book that I read right now, Living <laughs> <laughs> Life After Trauma. Nice. Healing PTSD with Cognitive Behavioral Therapy and Yoga. And I guess that's my little answer. Okay. <laughs> it, it was traumatized. Well, I, 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 think, I think it's a very fair answer because, you know, there, there's a lot of people who go out and claim to be so-called experts on all of this and who share their opinions, but they, they don't necessarily know everything. They haven't studied everything. They haven't sat None down. None of us do. None of us know everything. And again, I am breathing love. Yeah. So everyone... Everyone, everyone. And I'm also breathing, I said this in another interview, I'm also breathing love to people who feel stuck in their old ways of mm-hmm. being and whatever across the spectrum. Right. I have to send a breath of love. And, and, and that's like a one-way thing, meaning, meaning it's like I hate cannot drive out hate. Yeah. Only love can do that. That's true. It's too great a burden to bear. I'm mm-hmm. going to stick with love. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., yeah. right? It's like another is do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And yeah. so I have to live with that every day, especially being black and gay. <laughs> and I'm man, sure that, that you know, was way easy for you your entire life. So. Oh, it's so easy, you know? <laughs> but, no. but, you know, but because I have come to this place in my life of awareness and all of these things, it's, and it's not about, oh, I'm not going to say anything. No, it's, that's not my lane, a ministry, yeah. you know? I, 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 it's just not. I'm reading books again. The Sacred Power, A Seeker's Guide to Kundalini <laughs> Yoga, you know, because for me, that is my ministry. And hopefully that energy will help anyone who wants to listen to my kind of energy, you know, awesome, you know, and I am going to hit on a social media, I'm going to hit love and support of things that I believe in, you yeah. know, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to actually post that mm-hmm. for myself and for my own personal well-being. At 46 and having this new opportunity to actually, because my career has been so long and winding, you know, and yeah, I could say, because we're talking about systemic stuff, I can say, oh, well, I was overlooked. I was all these things because I'm black and all these things. But you know what? This black man, this black gay man was not ready. I had a lot of work to do. And I had a lot of unlearning to unlearn. I had a lot of healing to go. If you want to live your life, you're going to have to heal and not hold on. Like the reason I can share those traumas without breaking down and going, you know, Dr. Phil, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's like, you know, I've already done that stage. I've already done it. If you were to go back now and go talk to yourself at age 20, what would you tell yourself? Oh, three words. Yeah. It gets better. Uh-huh. And then the last two, hang, three, hang in there. Nice. Because the world needs you. And that- you need yourself to be whole, calm, and at peace, and with a light that shines love. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Um, I We have to go into one last thing, because uh, trust me, otherwise I, I would end it at that deep moment. But we have to talk about Mighty Oak, which is your latest product. Your latest oh, movie. And, I'm glad we saved this for last. Yeah. 
Mighty Oak. And I just watched it again. It's a beautiful film. It'll sneak up on you. Yeah. You think you're getting one genre. You know what I mean? You're thinking, okay, cute. And you're like, oh, this is really delving into some things. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's like a new family drama, I think. I mean, for for anyone listening that doesn't know the basic story, and you can correct me at any point if I'm wrong, but the, the way I understand is that it's about a band. They lose one of their members in a horrible car accident, and his sister, and his brother Bon, uh-huh. yeah. So she years later meets this like ten ten years later meets this ten year old kid prodigy, prodigy musical prodigy who uh-huh. also has a lot of the same mannerisms and acts like her brother and believes very much that this is her brother reincarnated, which. I mean, it's just beautiful. And it's this whole idea of, you know, what is the afterlife and is it there and is God truly out there? And it's like, there's so much to explore in this. And I mean, for you and your, I'll call it your spiritual reawakening, you know, was this something that just totally spoke to you when you saw the script? How long have we known each other now? You know, uh, the answer to that. about an hour and seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the answer to that. It yeah. did speak to me. I read this script and, and just every component and compartment in this movie, uh-huh. I thought, Oh, this because I, I then re started reading again about uh, afterlife and about because I was already reading in all of that crystal energy, all of that, yeah. and then this character DB, I was like, oh, he's a sage, yeah, you know, and he's a mentor, all of these things, and I love one of my okay, my favorite line in the show now. Uh, if I had to like, think and go, wow, what what part did I love the most? And I loved the whole movie. There's a moment where my character says to my daughter, Gianna Harris, uh, I love you. Mm-hmm. And it was the way I was like, ooh, the way that it was said was, now that's gonna tear me up. Is <laughs> you see this, you you this this single dad. Yeah. His daughter, and he says, I love you. We don't get a lot of that. Yeah. No, you don't. No, of just that. And so for the director and writer to have those three words in, I just thought, wow, that's the crux of the movie. I love you. And like, you know, Gina's journey with Oak, you know, and everyone's journey and her journey. It's, I love that movie. It's like, for me, I feel like it's the little engine that could. (laughs) I mean, then Paramount picked it up. It's like, what is going on? Is that amazing when something like that happens? And you're just yes. sitting there and you're like, you're like, really? I, this this is what's happening. I'm involved in this. This is cool. And I'll tell you, it came out of kindness. It came out of kindness. Um, my friend Frank Reagan and Amy Reagan, his wife, mm-hmm. uh, I had uh, shared, uh, you know, everything I shared to you uh, on my social media, and and I thought, wow okay, I probably will never work again, <laughs> you know, because, I, you know, it's not, it was a different time than right now. Yeah. You know, now it's like, yeah, share that because people are going to actually heal from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I didn't know if I was ever going to work again. And then I get a call uh, and a text and my friend Frank, he said, hey, Rod, um, there's a role in this film that I think you'd be great for. Would mm-hmm. you want to put yourself on tape? I cried. Um, when I get good news, I cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It just happens. Hopefully you're and crying a lot. So <laughs> I've been crying a lot. I have. And like, it just kind of comes out and I'm like, no, these are good tears. And, uh, and so, um, he, and I thought, yeah. So then I put myself on tape and get the movie. That's funny. 
I say kindness because that's how I got Come From Away too. Yeah. You know, I did an audition for Come From Away. Wait, it really? It came out of nowhere. Like when I say it came out, I hadn't worked with any of the, any of the creative team. Yeah. I auditioned for Chris Ashley for Xanadu, for the original okay. Xanadu. And I, I make this face because uh, I bombed the audition, the callback rather, yeah. because uh, he asked me in the room, he said, how's your skating? Yeah. And I said, oh, it's great. You know, okay. as you, because I was going back to the roller rink days, you know? Okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking, it's, it's, I was like, is it in line? He goes, no, it's like, and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's like a bike. That audition, that callback, we're all in skates. And then a friend of mine, he goes, oh, yeah, I can't skate either. He's doing like double pirouettes. And oh, God. And I was like, oh, God. And I'm just falling and falling and falling. And I see Chris <laughs> Ashley's face. And I actually reminded him of it. He goes, yeah, I do remember that. I, said, <laughs> I watched your face go from here to... <laughs> and so come from away. Uh, I get a call from uh, my friend Ian Eisendrath. Okay. And he's like a brother to me. They all are family. And he said, hey, Rod, um, I think there's a show that you'd be great in. And this actually happened to me a lot in my career. I think there's a show you'd be great in. And uh, we still have to um, see. And oh, and he said, and Chris uh, has already said yes. You know, and I'm like, really? You know, there's no skating, I guess. So, <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, he goes, we're just checking in with the producers. And I'm like, okay. I hadn't even read the script. I just said yes. Um, and that year, I was actually tested for Kimmy Schmidt, actually. Okay. So there was like, a, that came out of nowhere, too. Yeah. And so I was like, whoa, what is happening here? And then I found out I got the show. I, then I read the script. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Even then, that draft that I read, I was, I didn't even know who I was playing, actually, at that time. <laughs> I don't know who you're going to play yet, but we yeah. know. Well, they knew Bob. They knew okay. Bob. They said, and others, but we don't know the other people. Right. And, uh, you know, it was, and it's funny because uh, my original African uh, man's name was Wandoya. Okay. Right. And then we changed it in Washington. Because uh, Guandoya met uh, meant met with Doom, okay. <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah, "Not so much." Like, not so much. And that's when things were really starting to percolate in terms of race relations. And, yeah, and I was like, I went to the African Museum, African American Museum, with my friend Q, and I see this exhibit about West Africa, and I was so moved. And I, I see this, and I'm like, "Hold on." I gotta re- go back and research this. Oh, yeah. this is a good story. And so I then look back and I'm like, what name would make sense for this play? Because I came up with the name at the workshop because Kristen and David and Irene, they said, you know, what's his name? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, you're asking me what? You're not, I'm like, <laughs> responsibility? And because it just said African man, number one. And we were in, re- we were literally in our end of our first week of rehearsal work and workshop. And I said, can you give me the night? And I will um, come back tomorrow with it. Yeah. And because I know that those kind of names, there's a deep meaning. Mm-hmm. And so then in DC, I found this name, Uhu Musa. Mm-hmm. And uh, it meant uh, hope and light. Nice. And I asked uh, 
both everyone, you know, uh, Irene, David, and Chris, and us privately, you know, and uh, and they were like, well, let's think about it. And I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, oh my god, okay, you're literally asking them if you can change the name that was already there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so and you know what? I don't know. I'm thinking I wasn't expecting them to say yes yeah. at all. Actually, I'm just like, you know, and. They said yes. And um, and then actually it was in rehearsal and Chris had said, you know, we're gonna change the name to Muha Musa. And he goes, yeah. Rodney, can you tell us why, what it means? And I got overwhelmed just now with gratitude because we talk about all these things of, you know, uh, suppression and all. And here I am, this black man in this show and our director who happens to be white is saying, what do you think this name should be? Yeah. And then saying, no, you're right. I love that. Let's change this name. That's awesome. You know, and here's what it's, you know what I mean? So yeah. I am in this stance of love and like, look, you know, the greater is love. Yeah. And we're made to be, we're being made to believe that it's not, but it is. And so these same people months later, when everything happened with my voice, they held my hand. Uh-huh. No, they held my hand. And in a multi-million dollar business. Now, now I have to pause on that, the magnitude of that. Yeah. I could have easily lost my job. That would have made sense. It, there's no, you know, it's like, we love you so much, but, and that wasn't my story. That's not my story. It's, I literally could not sing anymore. And my doctors were like, you'll never regain your voice. So, what are you doing? And I came back and literally I could not sing. And I said, I have to give my notice. Yeah. You know, and we were all sad, you know, but that was the best thing I, that happened in my life at that time because I was able to then look back on a life lived mm-hmm. and go, how do you want to live? Where do you see yourself going? But first we need to like get butt ugly and heal. <laughs> you know, and like not get out of the bed heel, yeah. you know, and just, just figure You got to find, find you and who you're going to be and how and and everything you can be. Yeah. Yeah. Every single day of my life, I go to bed now and I, before I go to bed, I say, thank you. And when I wake up, I say, thank you without any other, my religion and philosophy is simple. It is kindness. That's beautiful, Rodney. And I think that that is a great place for us to end at here. So I, first of all, I just have to say thank you so much for you know joining me here today. I mean, just beyond a pleasure talking to you. It really was, man. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Um, everyone should check out Mighty Oak. It's currently available on Amazon Prime Video and Apple TV. Uh, check out Rodney's website for all the latest information on what he's up to. It's www.rodneyhicks.net. Again, that's www.rodneyhicks.net. You can follow Rodney on social media on Instagram at Rodney Hicks here. Again, that's Rodney Hicks here. R-O-D-N-E-Y-H-I-C-K-S-H-E-R-E. Um, Rodney, seriously, again, thank you very, very much. And, uh, Everyone, thank you for listening. Um, if you like what you heard or had questions, please email me at info at the top Again, that's info at the top Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a comment. I love hearing what people have to say. You can follow me on Twitter at Sprucy Boy, S P R U S Y B O Y, 
where I post the latest news and announcements for the show. Thanks so much, everyone. Stay safe and healthy out there.